Hi folks, welcome to the next edition of Serverless Crack with myself, Dave Anderson, author and contributor to Serverless Edge and architect at GP. Hi everyone, Mark McCann, author and contributor to Serverless Edge and architect at GP. Uh, Mike O'Reilly, uh, software architect with GP and contributor to Serverless Edge. Hello. Good stuff. Um, so in our last episode, we talked about worldly mapping and we decided to do a, a few um, sessions about worldly mapping. We did like a, a one-on-one last time just to explain the basics. And one of the things that we, we've said a lot is that like worldly mapping is a superpower. It helps you predict the future. And one of the things that I've been thinking about is like, it, what do we mean by that? Like we do sort of say it, it it's like a fortune teller, but it, it doesn't tell you something's going to happen in September or whatever. It's more about, you know, um, the state of mind that that puts you in. So we figured we'd maybe run through a couple of examples to kind of just demonstrate how we've how we've dealt with that in the past. Like, and we're going to kind of run through a few examples. What do you think about you know? Do you, what do you think about that statement? Worldly mapping helps you predict the future. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fairly accurate. I think it's something we've seen time and again ourselves. Um, and I don't. It's not like uh, you're reading the runes or looking on the crystal ball. It's you just have better situational awareness, so you can start to make more reasoned, more predictive sort of choices about you know, what's going to happen. So, again, like like everything around worldly mapping, it's to give you greater situational awareness, and with that, you can start to you know, see trends, see patterns, and, and see how things are, are emerging, and um, when you should take action, and when maybe you should step back and uh, let things evolve naturally on their own, and, and take advantage when they become available to you. So. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think as things progress, and you know, when you you assume like I I I like the worldly maps, but I also kind of you know I like the worldly strategy cycle, and you know the various kind of um, sort of segments within it. But really, kind of just at a high level, you, you see lots these days. You know, things move fast, things progress, things evolve, you know, but then they, there's a gameplay he refers to as innovate, leverage, commoditize. And, you know, and if you if you look at a particular map or a particular, you know, Mark, you said about situational awareness and you, you look at the evolved, the how evolved are the key components in that map. And then you kind of think about, you know, the ILC and how things progress. You can start to kind of look at, you know, predictions and, and start to sort of ask yourself hypothetical questions, you know, if this evolves and this kind of moves and in, in the you know in, in terms of ILC, how does it impact that today? And you know, there's even there's even a phase in that strategy cycle around sort of um, patterns and climate climatic patterns. And you know, even if you were to do nothing, how is this going to you know what what yeah. things are likely to change? So it's um you know it's probably more on the advanced side of of of, of worldly maps. And mm. the more experience you get, the more you kind of you find yourself in those sorts yeah. of conversations which are really useful it's it's kind of like a what if you know what i mean it, does, it doesn't predict the exact date something's going to happen and we've got no. five examples that, that we have experienced through through our careers that that has been really interesting um, and we'll just kind of talk through them for me it's about it's not about when this is going to happen it's more when this thing happens how will our strategy be affected like and you see that every year you see an aws reinvent where it's like aws like boom, they announce something and you hear some company going into business. You don't want to be in that situation, you know? And the, the first one probably is, uh, the first of the examples is conversational programming. Um, now, I didn't draw this map. Simon did a, did a map maybe about eight or nine years ago. 
around conversational program that you will ask your computer to to write a program and at the time i remember thinking god it's a bit far-fetched that's kind of mental but now we've seen the emergence of chat gpt where people are literally saying build me a website and boom it pops out um and i think in looking at that map years ago you think wow you start to think if that happens like what are the things in my job as a programmer that I don't need to know as much anymore? What can they help me with? So I think for me, it was almost like a, a what if. Um, I know, Mark, you've, you've spent a lot of time thinking about this. I mean, what, what do you think about that one? That, that was that was definitely a, a game-changing idea when we first seen that map years ago. Yeah, I think it's it's around making sure you position yourselves appropriately on the value chain. You know, so what if, if these things become real, if these things become commodities and available to everybody, Where's the value? And we've seen the same with serverless. We've seen the same with the move to the cloud. You know, whenever these things evolve and become you know, widely available and, and easy to do, you know, where is the value? So you want to make sure that you position yourself as high up that value chain as possible, if that's your strategy, right? So if conversational programming, if it becomes really easy for people to, to generate lots of code, okay, well, what what's what's the the higher value thing that you could do then? Then then the things like you know, well, is your testing practices uh, in a good shape do you understand the needs of your users do you understand you know, the value of, of what you're trying to accomplish so you start to see things like and things we talk about in, in the book those collaborative facilitated practices become much more valuable because writing the code and generating the code is going to be still, still a lot of expertise needed there but it's still it's going to be a lot faster and a lot yeah a lot more of a commodity than than maybe it is today you still need to be able to do it and understand it but yep. writing writing beautiful code is not enough. Yep. Despite my my, uh, I'm going against the opinion of my younger self. <laughs> no, it's, it's uh, yeah. No, it's interesting. Like we've um, obviously with um, Chat GPT three and then even with Chat GPT four, you know, it's it's just getting better, you know. And it's and again in terms of like a, a wordly map, you know, you you could have probably re- represented something there as fairly fairly custom you know like so you would have had a custom kind of element on a on a map where you're saying right so there's code and there'll be certain things hanging off that like knowledge of a particular framework or or whatever you know so now it's it's moved you know what i mean so you've now got a tool or now a commodity who can produce something fairly similar or fairly good still to your point mark you'd imagine you still need expertise you still need to be able to validate what it's what it's producing but now, you know, your your capital flows improved. You know, you can do something fairly faster. So what does that free up? You know, like, so where where do you spend your time? Where are you more value add? You know, so it's, again, you you know, how do you, how do you react to that? You know, how do you uh, move yourself or you put it further up that, that value chain? So now I, can, now I can think more about, is it adding value to code? Or am I focused more on a business person? Mm-hmm. Or is my product actually having the impact that I've got? Or let me produce something it is something that has value and then work on the next, you know, create, create a higher order. Create, and, I think, and one of the things that I think Simon is particularly brilliant at is to be able to challenge the current thinking, you know? And I mm. think at that time when he came out with that map, it was like, all you folk building nice, you know, code, you need to think higher on that. And same with, the, he, he talked, you used to talk about worth-based development or fin, fin dev, he called it. And mm. that became fin ops. You know, and that, that certainly got us thinking about the cost of the thing you build way, way early. And now that's become this huge FinOps practice around cost optimization. So it's that ability to use the mapping to challenge the thinking and, 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 and push ahead to the future. 
Yeah, and sure. even the conversational program one, like that's now moved significantly on the map. But now there's going to be lots of code liabilities generated. Yep. We we often say codes of liability. Well, okay. Well, who's now going to manage those liabilities? If you know, if, you know, if you're just spitting out all this generated code, how do you how do you manage that? How do you cope with that? So again, there's there's new emerging needs that are going to come out of that evolution of conversational program. Yeah. Definitely. So that, that that's a good one. And then the, a second second example is um, generative AI. And I specifically remember when all the the ML push started, maybe around ten years ago or maybe eight years ago. When everyone gets excited about ML, I remember having conversations with engineering teams who wanted a let's build the ML pipeline. You know, we can build bring in all these open source tools and we'll do it brilliantly. And you're kind of thinking, yes, you could do that. But do you really want to compete against um, AWS and Google and Azure? <laughs> because that's not smart. Um, you know, and, and you can see the fact that there is a value chain in the AI or ML services as well. And then you even see like this this week that we're, we're sitting here, um, like just yesterday, AWS released their um, generative AI suite with Bedrock, where they're really commoditizing all those ML tools. Um, now, you, you could have invested a lot of money five or six years ago and built something better than SageMaker, but now you're 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 behind now because because the providers have come over the top of it. So that, that's another way that I think I remember specifically mapping that out years ago and thinking, yes, we could focus on an ML platform, but let's focus on getting really good at ML engineering and yeah. how do we how do we deploy models and and you know handle models and and, and make those, you know, how, how do we do a well architected ML model yeah. as opposed to building a platform. I think that was a that was a, a good move and mapping helped that as well. Absolutely. I remember some of those conversations. I think the focus on ML ops and again the well architected machine learning analytics sort of lens was a really yeah. focus more on the, 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 the building blocks, the foundations that allow you to rapidly iterate and deliver you know, AI machine learning capabilities because the underlying components are going to change and you're not gonna you know I compete, you know. Google, AWS, Azure, you know, OpenAI. Yeah, and maybe maybe you can build something slightly better today than a cloud provider, but that's not going to last very long. You make it six months to a year out of it, and then you're into your sunk cost fallacy. So it's yeah. kind of like figuring out where your specialties are. Yeah, I remember we did a map. I, I'm not sure we did a map on this like a number of years back, and we remember having a very similar conversation. I and mean, you could see that there was a lot of uncertainty around data. You know, like so, corporations like to hold on to their data, and they don't like feeding it into third parties because of yeah, yeah. like it's it's building out their capability. And then you're thinking, right, well, but what if the what if you had these foundational models? Or these, that was an that was an actual point base as well. Models, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That it was complicated. Yeah. Yeah. So you you could purchase the base model and then just then enrich it internally. You know, and you kind of go, yeah. well, that's that's a that's a maneuver. You know, so you could you know, so it's it's pretty interesting. We got close to that, you know, even a few years back, and even when you're sitting back now, and you're looking at that kind of going, "Wow, well, that was pretty accurate." <laughs> you know, yeah, we didn't know it was accurate at the time. And, no. and you're seeing the same arguments come around again with ChatGPT, where enterprises don't want to give it any of their data. So now you can see the likes of Amazon Bedrock come onto the forward. Your own data, your own services, your own ecosystem. You can train the models yourself, and you can um, mm. without exposing it to to, to a larger LLM, yeah. right? Then I still like I don't want to open up a can of worms, but I'm sure like on the map somewhere there's a there's a big ethical kind of point in that you know with some of these 
some of these large LM, yep. you know, these large language models in terms of that is a can of worms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that was a different map. We we had a good ethic ethics map as well uh, back in the day. Um, so again, so again, the topic about you know, how does worldly map and help predict the future. We're talking about some examples. The third example is well architected. I think this is a a really good one because I specifically remember Mark. We spent loads of time thinking about like what's architecture and what do we do in architecture. Um, and then we start thinking about the well-architected framework from AWS, and there's there's ones from Azure and, and Google as well. And remember, there was almost three elements around that. There was the framework and knowledge itself, uh, the process you put around that, and then the tool for running that. And there was two two specific things that I remember talking about. Do we try and update the knowledge in that well-architected framework? And do we try and write a better tool? Because before the, the well-architected tool came out, it was very manual. And I remember thinking about, should we write something to make that easier? But we focused, we mapped it out and we focused on the process, which became SCORP. You know what I mean? Because we thought we're not going to, if, if we lock a load of custom knowledge in the well-architected, we'll, we'll lose the updates that AWS will. And if we try and write some wacky tool ourselves, someone else will write one. That'll be wasted effort. So I think that was a that was a good map. Yeah, I think very early on we were you know, very aware that you don't custom build your own cloud guidance framework, right? From no. us going, hey, we know better than thousands and thousands of you know, validated, proven use cases across multiple customers, yeah. right? We knew what we didn't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I think with that map, we were able to predict. Some of the future movement there, you know, we could see the investment that the cloud providers were putting into this knowledge and these frameworks and this guidance and advice, and we could see that it was evolving rapidly, and we could see the through our connections and and some of this is you you can you can validate this and you can sense check yourself by talking to people and saying hey what what are you thinking about this and you're starting to sense and starting to see some of the the literature change or some of the presentations change you're starting to see some of the terminology change they're all you know, um like points of points of interest that help validate your thinking, help validate your map, help validate that's going the way you think it's going to go. Mm -hmm. So now we've seen you know, the evolution of the, the well-architected tool in AWS. We've seen the evolution of you know, new services and capabilities around like security hub, the reliability hub. You know that that's almost like automating a lot of the well-architected checking and, and yeah, something that we would have done. I think on that particular one, I remember. I remember when we were looking at it. The, what was what stuck out in the map was the amount of duplication going on, you know, like, so there was lots of teams that were on well-architected reviews and there was lots of teams who were solving the same problems. So we were kind of going, there's bound to be a way to kind of make that way more efficiency and reduce the amount of duplication and, you know, time the value for a lot of the things that squads are trying to do. And we, mm. I think that we, we kind of born SCORP, you know, like how do we get these guys all talking to each other, line up and get like some sort of process where they're sharing a lot of what they're doing and, and, um, mm you know, get, get a sort of collaborative, well-architected process, you know? Yeah, and then the idea about heuristics, because like, that, that, that's always been a thing. When when you, when when a, when a platform gets good at something, it works out how to tell you when something's wrong or how to tell you before something fails. Mm -hmm. And we kind of guessed that that would come out. And now you've got trusted advisor telling you stuff, yeah. which is interesting. Yeah, um, a lot of those tools have, have emerged that we could have spent a lot of time building linters or you know fast yep. feedback loops that would have given us hey you're you're not quite well architected but by mapping it out you could see that the ecosystem was going to provide these capabilities and these yeah. components that you could just build on top of and leverage so again the future facing element there isn't the fact that we knew this exact tool would be built but we knew what tools not to build yeah 
which was important. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fourth one then is serverless. I mean, that's probably a, a fairly obvious one. I, I think as we mapped out that stack and, and, and Simon himself mapped that out a long, long time ago, you could just see some of the things that just weren't going to last. Some of the platforms that were interesting and kind of cool, but they're going to kind of go away again. Um, we, we, and that was that thing about being quite high up in that compute value chain. And that was an important one. And that, that was a map that was kind of drawn for us, like I would say. Yeah, and I think especially as early adopters, you know, there were some pain points that you know our teams were facing, but we almost had because we were able to map the site. You will say, let's just wait, let's just wait for yep. a couple of months until that that pain point is solved for by the ecosystem by by the cloud provider. You know, we could have went off and built something custom, or we could have you know gone a non-serverless route, or we could just you know just just take that take that hit for now and wait until the, the yeah. ecosystem evolves and then new servers are that pain point that quota that limit that 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 thing that you were oh it's really really frustrating this it's like yeah just take a look take a look at the map let's take a step back let's just wait for the ecosystem you know but and with this stuff with future music you can also influence it you could reach out to your partners reach out to your clever partner and say hey we have this pain point so you can start to actually help evolve some of the components yourself by yeah. starting to have those conversations about, hey, we have this pain point. We're trying to evolve this thing. What What's the direction here? Yeah. And just to be clear, it's not like AWS would say, oh, listen, we're building that. Just hold tight. They don't tell you. No. you know, you're sitting in the and you go, oh, right. That's the thing I was waiting on. So uh, they're very yeah. they're very good at keeping secrets and, 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 and you know, quite rightfully, not 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 leaking products, which, which, which never happened. Yeah, the serverless map's definitely interesting. Even looking at it today, you'd still say at an industrial level, you know, there's still a lot of kind of evolution taking place. You know, like across the board, there's still fairly moderate adoption of serverless. The concept's staying, but the services are evolving like mad. Yeah, and that's it. But at the at the at almost at the micro level, say at an org level, you know, who do adopt it's there and you see it and it's real. (laughs) You know, but it's still it's still weird that at an industry level it's still you know, it's probably mm. still, still very much evolving, which is interesting. Mm. And then the last quick example is CDK, the Cloud Development Kit. I mean, we sort of, we knew CloudFormation was a pain and we could see that there was a need for a higher order pattern. And we sort of, I remember mapping that out, that there'll be higher order kind of building blocks. And when that came out, we just jumped in that immediately because we were kind of waiting for it. And that was that was a nice kind of simple example that we we could we, we knew that we knew something like that was coming. So when it arrived, we were we were ready to just kind of throw the kitchen sink at it. Absolutely, yeah. yeah that, that again, it's another one of those uh, because you have good situational awareness, you can wait at the appropriate time. You don't have to go off and waste a lot of energy and cycles and money trying to custom build something that you know, <clears throat> you just waited three three months. You, you you'll get what you're trying to achieve. Yeah. And that, and that, remember that had a very soft launch as well. That wasn't a big fanfare like reinvent. I think that came out in June or something. Remember, it kind of just slipped out. Yeah. Um, cool. I think when when you map this stuff out, you can start to then think about how you can you build your sensing engine to to start to get some intel on whether these things are going to happen or not. So there's lots of different ways you can do that, but like following all the Twitter feeds and looking at the blogs and looking at who they're hiring and following all the industry experts. They're all points of um, information that can help you um, see how things are going to evolve and, and start to predict you know, what way things are going to go as well. So there's there's yeah. multiple levels of maturity of you know, your map and how you think it's going to move and where the evolution is going to happen. 
Yeah, very good. So we'll, we'll continue the, the, the series. I mean, again, so it's like you can use worldly mapping to predict the future. We believe you can, but it's not going to give you an exact date. What I can do is almost give you an example of this is what it will look like when this thing happens. So you can prepare yourself for, for when that thing does. And then <clears throat> when the press release comes out, you're like, boom, we're ready. We've seen that coming. So it's kind of the, the no surprise approach, Nicole, which building good situational awareness. So that's the crack. We'll continue the um, we'll continue the chat next time around. Um, have a look at the the blog on theserverlessage.com and give us a shout on Twitter at the Serverless Age and on YouTube. Thanks very much. Thanks everyone. Bye everyone.